Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of Moving Iron. Well, let's do it. Let's do it right, Sean. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Haggett. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon would like to give the loyal listeners of the Moving Iron Podcast a free notepad, Sean. I know you need one of those. I do. When you are out and about looking at birds or doing whatever it is that you're doing, taking notes, just go to market at axontire.com and you can get yourself a free Axon Travel Notepad. Make sure you mention you heard it on the Moving Iron Podcast when you send an email to marketing at axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment. Sales data, TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The dealer, the dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Sean is with Boca, or not, you're not with Boca Raton, Florida. You live in Boca Raton, Florida, but you're with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Boca Raton, Florida, and he's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. So, Sean, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Casey. Real good. Real good. So, you had Hurricane uh, Ian hit that uh, kind of between, what, basically Fort Myers, I guess is kind of where it went through. Had some pretty significant damage there. Um, one of the bigger hurricanes they've had in that area. Since what, to, 1935 it, or something, something right? Well, yeah, 0405, they got hit pretty bad. Um, yeah. I'm not sure it was a category four. I think it was a category three, but the damage was quite extensive there. I, so I'm thinking you got to you got to look back 20 years to at least have something of a similar kind of of uh, high order damage like they're seeing there. 
so it's been right. a long time been a little bit you know so it's uh thoughts and prayers got to those people out there man that's a it's a tough situation to uh to go through and and there's a lot of a lot of devastation you know here in the midwest we have strong storms that come through and do do some damage but it usually takes you know 10 or 15 minutes for those storms to roll through here and, and do what they do and I couldn't imagine going through a hurricane with 100 plus mile an hour winds for 12 hours. You know that would be a that'd be a whole nother deal. So it's a. I've been through I've been through ones where we've had 120, 130. Um, it's most unpleasant. Yeah. And and the way it works is every 10 mile an hour higher, the damage equation is exponentially worse. So okay. you go from 120 to 150. I mean the the damage is just catastrophically worse, even though it's only 30 miles an hour. It's it's a disproportionate degree of damage differential. So, um, yeah, the big difference between a, a three or a four big yeah. difference. Yeah. So yesterday I was I sent you a text, asked you how you're doing, see if you're out of out of harm's way. And your particular area was really a non-event. You got a little rain, a little wind, but nothing out of the ordinary for this time of the year. And you had mentioned something about orange juice going limit up, which. That's right in the heart of citrus country, right there. Where that rolled through. Talk about that a little bit, Sean, and what you see happening there. Well, I think I think you have to understand that where we are right now with the orange juice crop is now we're in the, the orange sizing, meaning that the oranges are starting to form and size. So the big issue right now would have been if very high winds were to have hit the core citrus belt. Now the core citrus belt is not on the coast. This core citrus belt as in the internal of Florida. And by the time that storm, because it was moving so slowly, got to the internal Florida, it rapidly declined from, you know, down to a, uh, a category one, and now it's a tropical storm. That means more rain than wind. Um, and, you know, excessive rainfall, but excessive rainfall for a citrus tree isn't going to be the same kind of catastrophic damage as if they had experienced 100 mile an hour winds or more, which they did not experience. So I don't think the damage is, is the worst case scenario that could have happened there. Um, and so we might see some kind of a hangover as the storm passes through. And there's a, we, we might have a buy the rumor, sell the news in the market as the market says, well, it could have been a whole lot worse. Maybe we overplayed this. Demand is not doing well. And oh, by the way, uh, you know, Brazil's going to have a significant increase in supplies starting in 2023. I, I don't think this was the worst case scenario for the citrus belt. Had it moved more quickly and had the storm stayed stronger longer, I think it could have been, but it, to me, it turned out to be more of a rain event than a citrus belt, you know, blowing the, the, the fruit off the trees in, in a massive fruit drop. I don't think that's what occurred here. So. Okay. So one of those, uh, something else to probably pay attention to with, 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 where it's kind of headed to, and I looked at the radar this morning, and looked like it was kind of more headed back out towards like uh, like very southeast corner of Georgia, kind of back out to sea there a little bit. Um, you know, looking at that, Sean, it really shouldn't affect much on the cotton side, and in in that the whatever um, other harvest related uh, issues we see in the southeast right now. Well, the original track was going to take us straight into the heart of Atlanta, I right. mean, you know, Georgia, and the, and the but Carolina, you know, it's not really that significant of a, you know, they grow, they grow some cotton there, but it's not, it's not a high order state for cotton. And so um, we dodged a bullet there in terms of, I mean, for a while there, we were limited up in cotton when the track was supposed to go straight into Georgia. 
and then all of a sudden it veered off and changed track. And so I don't see this being a major impact to the cotton market when it's all said and done. Um, very minimal change in production from all of this, uh, other than some some reduction in production and quality in North Carolina. And not not to diminish North Carolina and those farmers and that sort of thing, but on the, on the big picture scale, it's not a market moving event. So right, okay. All right, as you're looking out at a few other of these uh, commodities over here in the soft markets, if you take a look at, um, so, you know, one thing I've been paying attention to just because I'm wanting to build a little building next to my house here, but the price of lumber has really taken a, a fall down. I mean, you really take a look from where it was at its highs, you know, a couple of years ago. Well, actually back in March of, uh, of 22, you know, you're looking at $1,400 lumber and then you look at ads today, it's, you know, 429 bucks a linear, 100 linear foot. So, you know, you look about $1,000 been eroded off that, and there's been some sharp declines all on the way down. When you're looking at lumber, Sean, do you feel like there's there's more room to fall there, or do you feel like this is about where it needs to be at? I, I kind of think, you know, when we, we, we popped a couple of years back, we had talked about, you know, uh, the popping of a bubble. It was a classic bubble chart, right. straight up vertical market. Mm-hmm. And when you pop a bubble, you typically lose 80 to 90% to make the low. I haven't worked at the exact percentage. I think we would get $1,800, $1,900 down to 400 I mean, actually, I can calculate it real quick. Why, why, why guess, right? Let's yep. let's calculate real quick. But I think, let's see. So let's just take 1,900 minus 400, make it nice and easy, divided by 1,900. So we've declined 79%. That's usually the low from a bubble yeah. popping. And it, now, now it can sit here and go up and down, down and up and up and down and develop some kind of an extended basing pattern. But I do think that this is probably a low point we're going to start to dig our heels in and develop some kind of a sideways trade pattern. And there's a good value. The problem is, you know, it's a good value because nobody wants to build homes right now. You know, nobody wants to do because interest rates have gone up so fast, so quickly and mortgage rates have gone up so fast, so quickly that we've literally just hit the buyer with a sledgehammer. And, um, you know, and, and then of course, with all the worries over the economy, I might lose my job, you know, it's 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 it means that the lumber demand's going to be weak for a while. But remember, lumber prices tend to go up or down well in advance of the economy. Typically, it'll drop a year and a half. It'll go up a year and a half, start going up or start going down a year and a half before an uptick or a downtick. So lumber can start to go up even when things look really, really bad, Casey. Um, and so I would say that, you know, be on the lookout for some common kind of upturn. I would think in lumber prices in the first half of 2023, not because the economy is doing great at that point, because I think the market's going to be sensing that later on in 23 and 24, it's anticipating a rebound in the economy. So it's a very forward looking market for, 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 for prices versus the economy. But for now, I, I don't really see a whole lot of reason for the market to go up much or down much from here. I think it's a sideways trade into the first half of 23 and then we'll have to take another look at it. So. Gotcha. Okay. All right. One, um, one thing that we've, we've talked quite a bit about here um, off and on again um, is coffee and you look at coffee right now and the, you know, the coffee market has, has had its ups and downs here um, comparatively to what, you know, we looked at some frost issues this spring and, and what that looked like and how that was going to affect what was going on. I guess it was about this time last year, I guess she went to Brazil, wasn't it? So, um, you know, this, this, 
time and you kind of saw how that reacted through uh through the spring into the uh sorry, sorry through the fall into the spring and where we're at now so if you take a look at coffee sean and you're looking at what's going on there our growing conditions obviously they're a little better in brazil right now than they've been um but taking a look at the coffee market sean what are your thoughts there yeah fantastic rains here in october this is the prime month for the flowering season the blooming season getting those flowers to to bloom and getting them to um to set and to set the coffee potential for the next crop so outstanding weather normally that would just crash the co uh, the coffee market here and it'd be a game set and match it's all over but we've had two massively small crops back to back and we have extremely tight supplies and we're going into the high demand part of the season what's been happening is certified stocks on the ice exchange warehouses, which are used to deliver against futures contracts on the exchange, continue to fall. They're at 28-year lows right now at 440,000 bags. They can't go to zero, meaning you can't, you have always have to have coffee that can be delivered against the board if somebody wants to take delivery against the long futures contract at expiration. So, and we're and at the rate that we're drawing down these certified stocks you know, will be at zero, you know, in 45 days, which can't oh, happen. Wow. So, yeah. so at some point the market, and the reason this is happening is that we're so tight that the cash market. So if you look at Colombian cash coffee, straying at 80 cents plus above futures, you look at the central American coffee, they're trading at 55 to 60 cents at a premium to futures. You're looking at Brazilian coffee um, that would be that's able to be delivered to the exchange. You're looking at parity. The only way you're going to get coffee to be delivered to the exchange is you have to get the cash differentials to fall so that delivering to the board is more attractive than selling in the outright cash market. Um, so at some point, in order to stop these drawdowns from certified stocks, the futures market will have to rally to the point where these cash differentials fall and it, it incentivizes Central America and Brazil and Colombia to deliver to the board so we don't run out of certified stocks. That's right now what's happening. Um, and, and, and obviously at this price level, we continue to draw down certified stocks every day. So the market has, I don't, I'm not saying I know what that level is, Casey. I don't know if it's 275 or it's three or, you know, all I know is I can, I can, I calculate these cash differentials every day. I'll be able to see when, the, when they're starting to fall, when the price level is beginning to have its impact. But the way I see it, the market, regardless of the great weather we're having, regardless of the very bearish macro environment we're in, the strong dollar, all things that are tend to be bearish commodities, this is a mechanistic thing. Uh, this is a you know physical delivery mechanism thing, and it has to, it can't go to zero. So the this is a situation where this will override those factors. It just has you know that if those surfaces keep falling. Um, it has to happen. So, so I would be just continuing to watch those certified stocks, and if they continue to fall, I'm I don't know what what level we we reached the, you know that that moment of truth or the tipping point, but we only have four forty thousand bags left to go. So somewhere between this this level and zero, the market's going to get sufficiently worried to move the coffee market higher to to offset not running out of certified stocks. So we haven't been through this since nineteen. 97 was the last time we had a supply squeeze on the board of trade uh, warehouse stocks falling too low. Um, it's been a long time, but 
it's a rare event, but it's something that is very interesting for this market and does offer the potential for one more potential spike trade before we put the top in. And then we start looking at this much bigger crop that's coming for next year and this good weather and all will start to kick in. But I, you know, somehow we have to resolve this issue, Casey, before we can get to the bear side of the equation. So gotcha. All right. So one other thing I've been thinking about here a little bit you know, with all the, the talks that we've had about, you know, ending stocks and what that looks like. So let's, let's pretend for a minute that Brazil has just bumper crop this year, right? Soybeans, corn, I mean, just through the roof. And then here in the United States, we do the exact same thing. You know, bumper crop, corn, you know, we just well above trend line yield. I mean, we're just banging it out. With the situation we have worldwide, worldwide as, as ending stocks go and those kind of things, how many of those could, could the market absorb before we start seeing some significant decrease in price? Well, I mean, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a stretch to think that we could go from a billion bushel carry out in corn to two, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if we have a record crop and you look at where the demand is, um, and let's say you know there's some people that want to catch up on buying because they've been you know caught, but I would say you know we could see ending stocks go to two billion on corn, for example, or maybe you know go to five to. 700 million bushel carry out on soybeans, for example. Um, and what would that mean to price? You know, obviously there's a lot of factors. You know, what's the sure. currency doing? What is sure. the Fed doing? Um, but clearly, if you go from a billion bushel carry out to two billion bushel carry out, you know, I don't think we're going to have $7 corn. You know, right. I think we'll have something considerably less. We know that in, um, you know, that we found our way down to five and a half, 575 when we thought we were going to have a billion and a half bushel carry out. We know that we have to four and a half the prior year. When we thought we were going to have two blemish or carry out. So, you know, you know, those levels based upon the chart pattern that we've seen would seem to be targets. Obviously, we have to monitor geopolitical, we have to monitor the dollar, we have to monitor what the Fed is doing. They start to print all kinds of money again and the dollar starts to collapse. You know, maybe it's on the higher side, but ser- clearly, I don't think we're going to have a $7 corn if we have a record, you know, a bin buster crop in Brazil. And a um, above trend line yield in 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 U.S. we certainly wouldn't be having six and a half seven dollar corn. It'd be something considerably less. And that you know that's the kind of weather we're anticipating that we're going to have uh, at this point, unless um, unless something changes in, in our view from what we're looking at. So, right on. Okay, one last thing we'll talk about is uh, is energy here for just a second. Looking at what's going on in the overall oil complex here, if you're looking at um, where West Texas crude is. You've seen some stabilization there from what we saw over the last, the previous week and into this week here. We've seen a little bit of stabilization. If you look at West Texas crude, you're seeing some movement there. Um, you say, you know, a huge, you know, all the way up there from 120 down to where we're at now, about 80, uh, whatever it is, 82.15, I think is where it's trading at right now. Looking at those two, you know, West Texas and, and Brent and, and where they're at now, that mythical. $80 number keeps getting tossed around there as a, as a real breaking point. And then when it gets to that $80 number, that there's could be some significant slide in what we see happening in the overall oil marketplace right now, Sean. So I guess looking at oil, are, do you think that $80 mark is is where folks are are, are going to I don't know, get a little panicky and you can see a, a significant drop? Or do you feel like there's still this is about where oil needs to be at? We already traded below 80 already and we right. got down at 75, but just, just think of it this way. We've been absolutely 
dumping millions of barrels of oil daily from the SPR, just dumping right. it, just just dumping it. The refineries working at 103% capacity. I'm not I'm kidding, but I mean, as fast as they can to produce diesel and gas and like they've, we've never seen before ahead of the elections. And we still have $80 crude oil. Um, how long are they going to continue to dump SPR? Uh, uh, yeah. How much longer? I mean, you know, at the rate that they're drawing it down, if they intended to just totally clear the, clear it out and go to zero, you know, maybe they could do it for another year, but are they going to do that? Are they going to just totally drain the entire SBR down to zero? I don't think so. Um, what would be the incentive to do it after the elections are over? What, why would anybody feel the need to, to do that any longer because you don't have any elections for another couple of years and at least in the house of representatives and the president. So right. I just say, you know, it, when we, if we were to stop in December, and all those millions of barrels of oil supply that are been thrusted on the market stop. There is nowhere else to get those that supply. I mean, there's no. We're not going to produce it. Right. We're not going to get it from anybody else. So what the price just seems to me like you know we have. And remember, what's the low? What's this? The lower energy price is a huge stimulus right now. Huge stimulus for the global economy. Huge stimulus for the U.S. Meaning. We're actually stimulating the economy by getting these energy prices down. And the, I think the market is looking at crude oil incorrectly. Normally, when the crude oil price falls like it has, it means that we're in a crash in the economy. The demand is terrible. We have an oversupply of production. But because the oversupply is built on dumping SPR, not from excess U.S. production, it is actually not a signal of that. It's a it's a it's a manipulated signal of a temporary supply that's been thrusted on the market that cannot last. So once you remove that supply, the market has to very rapidly go back to a level where actual supply and demand, you know, meets itself. And I, you know, we were at 120, 130 before they decided to dump SPR. I'm not smart enough to know, you know, exactly how high we would go, but I just th- I just feel that we're pushing on the string at this 75 to $80 barrel area. And the market's misperceiving what's really happening there. And when you look at actual U.S. production and actual U.S. demand, there's a mismatch still. And 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 we're stimulating right now. So I, I really think there's a wake-up call in the energy market from somewhere late after the election into the first quarter where the market will have to rapidly recalibrate what the true price is based on real production against real demand if, in fact, politicians back off SPR you know, I don't know if they're going to for sure that they're going to do that, Casey. I can't know for sure, but I I just don't think they're going to run these supplies down to zero. And I don't see where what the political benefit to them anymore is once the elections are over. So I would be thinking about if I'm a cash buyer of diesel, I'm a cash buyer of gasoline, if I'm a cash buyer of crude oil, boy, I think I'd be looking at making sure I got tight, you know, tight, you know, tightened up, buttoned up here in the fourth quarter for my future needs in 2023. I think this is going to be a good opportunity for cash hedgers to, you know, get themselves buttoned up a little bit. That's at least that's the way we see it. Now, you know, we're not energy experts at all. We're ag experts, but I think, you know, that's a pretty good solid outlook for energy, at least the way we're looking at things. So Right on. Makes a lot of sense. Never thought of it like that, Sean. 
All right, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing over at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of information on there about our weather cycles, capital flow cycles, what we do, how we do it, to see if what we do could be a value to your listeners. Right on. I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and the ever so cleverly named Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Just marketing is my thing, Sean. I don't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> you're, you're a guru. I got I got to hand it to you. <laughs> so you want more information there, go to uh, movingironllc.com. That's everything Moving Iron related. The information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th of 23. And the good folks over at Axon decided to do something very, very special. So check this out. If you uh, use the code Axon, when you check in, you get a twenty-five or sorry, fifty-dollar discount off of the price there. So check that out if you're interested in doing that. It's a good reason to go do that. So with that, Sean, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Always, always a blast, Casey, and uh, really appreciate you always, always giving me the the opportunity to do this on a weekly basis. Wow, you're you're the one that's helping me out more than I'm helping you, and I promise you that. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's move smart, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's IronComps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century.